Welcome to Earth, Third Rock from the Sun, and welcome to Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. I'm your host, Melton McManerberry, and I want to thank Cam McCollum and the Rios for providing the theme music for this episode. Our project on this podcast is to get to the bottom of what exactly makes 80s and 90s country music particularly work, and sometimes particularly not work, but that can be instructive too. And we do that by closely examining the songs played on satellite radio's 80s and 90s country station, one at a time. Today, one thing has led to another, and we find ourselves at the mercy of Joe Diffie's 1994 hit, Third Rock from the Sun. So if you haven't already, please do pause this podcast and give this song a close listen or two. I'll also be referring to the George Jones song, The Race is On, in this episode, especially the second verse, if it's been a while since you heard that one and want to dust it off and give it a listen. Without further ado, though, let's get into it. Third Rock from the Sun was recorded and released by the late, great Joe Diffie in 1994 as the lead single, first track, and the title track of his fourth studio album. So he was really definitely all in with this song. And it did make a splash that I remember well. And man, (laughs) R.I.P. Joe Diffie. Uh, Definitely gone too soon. Anyway, the song was written by Sterling Whipple, Tony Martin, and John Greenbaum, and was produced by Johnny Slate and Joe Diffie, who took the song to number one on the country charts. All right. The first domino has fallen, the chain reaction has begun and cannot now be stopped, so let's not fight it. Let's get into some key features of Third Rock from the Sun that, at least to my ear, make the song what it is. And we're going to tackle it first by comparing it to a song that it seems to me to owe a great deal of debt to. Then we're going to change it up a little and dive into some things that I think work about Third Rock from the Sun, and then some things that I kind of don't think work all that well. And all that will be with much respect for Joe Diffie, by the way, who is an A-plus vocalist and the voice behind some of my absolute favorite country songs of all time that I'm I'm sure we'll get to soon enough. Third Rock from the Sun just happens not to be one of them. Okay, first off, I want to draw attention to the apparent influence on this song of... You want to take a guess? Think I'm going to say Achy Break Your Heart Again, a la God Bless Texas? Well... That influence is pretty undeniably there, too, but I think there's another song that it shares more DNA with. It's a song we've covered before on this podcast. It's Garth Brooks, Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up. So what am I hearing there? Uh, There are some obvious similarities. Both have that high-energy, syncopation-laden groove, and both make heavy use of blue notes and blues form. You know, when I started this podcast, I didn't see this coming. Who knew that 80s and 90s country would make such heavy use of blues? That had just never been on my radar, but at this point, the fact is pretty undeniable. Anyway, beyond that, both songs employ what I would characterize as a clear and deliberate lack of restraint, and that's where I want to go first. Remember, we talked about the concept of restraint in our last episode, actually, on Vince Gill's Look at Us, a song which is on an entirely different rock from the sun from this one, if they are even in the same universe. While Look at Us at every turn found ways to hold back on the drama, making even its key changes subtle enough to miss, Third Rock from the Sun uses a no-holds-barred approach, loud, energetic, in-your-face, really keeping all the energy at level 10 basically throughout the song. 
You have a couple of moments where maybe it backs down to a nine toward the beginning of the song, and then in the last verse when Diffie just sings over that four on the floor bass drum. But even there, the heavy bass drum and those really loud band hits on one, it would be hard to call any of that restraint. Just a somewhat quieter version of the almost indulgence that unapologetically infuses this song. That no-holds-barred energy was certainly a key characteristic of Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up. Although, I would argue that its down verse, especially the last one, similar to Third Rock from the Sun, that verse quieted down more than Third Rock from the Sun ever does, kind of converting its frantic energy into more of a tension. And I don't think we really hear that happening on Third Rock from the Sun. Rather, its raucous energy pretty much just stays raucous and enjoys itself in it. But continuing on that subject of the similarities between Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up and Third Rock from the Sun, note also the fast tempo that Third Rock has. Though it's not as fast as Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up, which was so fast and frantic that it made that pivot over into cut time, which Third Rock from the Sun never does that, staying in a very clear, straight, driving 4-4 that may never reach fifth gear in terms of tempo, but it certainly stays in fourth. Now, we've talked a lot about the idea of a driving groove. Ain't Going Down to the Sun Comes Up had it. Seminole Wind had it. God bless Texas. Ain't Going Down to the Sun Comes Up's version was really the quintessential country example, arguably. But, you know, Third Rock from the Sun is even more driving, more forward-leaning, if you will, than Ain't Going Down. It comes mostly from the drums, which are very much the motive force of this song. Constantly propelling the song forward, very forward in the mix, very forward in terms of its driving, not pulling the song like the Eagles-inspired groove of Look at Us, but pushing it, always slightly ahead of the beat, always anticipating, never tapping the brakes to collect itself, but always thinking ahead. Now, this is all a subtle concept, a very difficult one to describe, something you really just have to hear, and I'm about to make it even more abstract, because there's something going on here in the contrast between it going down to the Sun Comes Up's drive and Third Rock from the Sun's drive. That relates to that sweet spot I'm always interested in, kind of a microcosm of this whole era and genre of 80s and 90s country. Because while Third Rock from the Sun drives more, Ain't Going Down to the Sun Comes Up, I would argue, drives better. Ain't Going Down's drive has a naturalness, where Third Rock from the Sun's feels forced. It feels more manufactured and less organic. Hold that thought, though. We'll get into more of that idea in a moment. When we start talking specifically about things that I don't think really work in this song. But the other thing that I want to say in making this comparison between Third Rock from the Sun and Ain't Going Down to the Sun comes up is that, interestingly enough, and maybe even ironically, certainly unexpectedly, at least for me, Third Rock from the Sun is more honky-tonk than Ain't Going Down to the Sun comes up. You might say it has more honky-tonk attitude. Thank you very much. Now, Garth Brooks is by no means afraid to make a honky-tonk song. See the Long Neck Bottle episode for all the evidence you need there. But Garth Brooks, I think it's fair to say, is a more versatile artist stylistically than Joe Diffie, or honestly, probably more than any other male country artist. He's the Billy Joel-style chameleon that can sell any musical style. That's part of what makes Garth Brooks Garth Brooks. Joe Diffie, on the other hand, is pretty much a straight-up honky-tonker. Now, not that there's anything wrong with that. He's an excellent company on that front. So not to minimize a loaded term like honky-tonk, but you'll remember from the past episodes that instrumentation is a big part of honky-tonk music. 
Specifically, some combination of fiddle, pedal steel, guitar, and often piano are present and prominent in honky-tonk music. There's more to it, but if you're hearing those instruments, that's at least your initial tip-off that you're listening to a honky-tonk-style country song. Now, there's no fiddle in Third Rock from the Sun that I can hear, but piano and pedal steel are definitely there, although they are way down in the mix, where the guitars and percussion are way up. Again, more on that later, but let's at least note for now the presence of those instruments, which was not the case, by the way, on Ain't Going Down till the Sun Comes Up. And the twangy Telecaster in Third Rock from the Sun is also worth noting, while Ain't Going Down till the Sun Comes Up significantly, prominently featured a rock and roll style Stratocaster. I think you have the Strat in Third Rock too. There are multiple electric guitars in various parts of the song, even a slide guitar at one point. But that main lick in the song, that G-E, 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 sounds like a Telecaster. At any rate, it's certainly more twangy than anything in Ain't Going Down to the Sun Comes Up. And that again signals that Third Rock from the Sun was a song much more in touch with its honky-tonk attitude than Ain't Going Down to the Sun Comes Up was. Ain't Going Down was deliberately skewing rock and roll. That, that was kind of the whole idea. And the move was novel at the time. Third Rock in the Sun seems to be following suit on that. It comes out a year later. But Third Rock in the Sun is approaching this idea. I almost want to say it's just a fusion of arena rock and honky-tonk. Should we call it ronky-tonk? Arena ronky-tonk? Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I almost want to call it fusion. But, you know, I don't really think that's what's happening. It isn't really crafted like that, this melding of styles. It's more of a honky-tonk song with rock and roll drums and the gain turned up on the amps. So along those lines, I want to get more specific about what does and doesn't work in this song, at least in my ear, because I do think the song doesn't entirely work. And I found that when I feel that way about a Nashville Anthem selection, the most fruitful thing I can do is talk about why that is, dig down and tease out what does and doesn't work and why. Now, needless to say, this is all Melton McManerberry opinion, of course, and if you disagree, I definitely want to hear from you. Write me at MeltonMcManerberry at gmail.com or look me up on Instagram and enrich my understanding of what's going on in this song. But here's what I'm hearing. So, let's start with what works in Third Rock from the Sun. Well, we have to mention Joe Diffie's vocals. This guy has a great honky-tonk voice, and he's not afraid to use it. There's a lot of twang in his voice, a lot of grit, a la Clint Black. I feel like there is a subset of early 90s guys who were especially channeling George Jones. I mean, okay, every male artist after him was to some degree channeling George Jones, but there are a few where you especially hear it. It hits you right in the face and arguably maybe even rises to the level of imitation in some cases. Mark Chestnut and Sammy Kershaw immediately come to mind on this. Kershaw especially. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. He is pretty much doing his best George Jones impression whenever he sings. And I remember thanking for a country girl that she went pretty well on. But Diffie's George Jones-ness isn't quite that on the nose, but I'd put him in the same camp as Chestnut and Kershaw nonetheless. Diffie's George Jones' vocal inspiration is more obvious to me on his ballads than on up-tempo songs like Third Rock from the Sun an uber up-tempo number, as we've discussed. I'm sure we'll get to ships that don't come in and is it cold in here soon enough. But on Third Rock from the Sun, listen to Diffie's delivery on the lyrics, Lines go down, town goes dark. Sparks, lines go down, town goes dark. 
So you have a lot of George Jones in there, just in the timbre, particularly the drawl in Diffie's voice on that line. But what I really want to highlight is the authority in his delivery. There's charisma there, that star-caliber confidence, an instinct that told him to shift his tone to something subtly more intimate, more of a storyteller than a preacher. And it's a great vocal move. I mean, you know, maybe I'm stretching that George Jones comparison too far. Fair enough, but let's go with it. An up-tempo Jones lyric I'd like to compare, this one too, is in the song The Race Is On. It comes at the end of the second verse. Jones sings, Somebody new came up to win her, and I came out in second place. Somebody new came up to win her, and I came out in second place. Jones's vocal timbre changes there. Almost sounds like it's breaking, really. It goes out of time a bit, too. It kind of loses the beat, similar to what Joe Diffie does on that Lines Go Down, Town Goes Dark line. Just kind of loosens up the beat vocally while the groove continues behind him. But in both cases, it's like this instinctive choice, something I don't think you could think through ahead of time or even teach. It's just being really good at delivering a set of lyrics and going where they take you with confidence, the kind of stuff that separates good singers from great ones. But let's say more about the verses of Third Rock from the Sun, because I do think they work musically. The verses are in our old friend E. Blues, something we encountered a few episodes ago with Foster and Lloyd's Crazy Over You. There was also a lot of E. Blues in Garth Brooks' Rodeo, and we haven't got to it yet, but we noted in the Crazy Over You episode that Boot Scoot and Boogie picks up on Crazy Over You's E. Blues very, very strongly. We've seen blues in other keys on national anthems as well, of course, and as I mentioned, blues is emerging as, for me, an unexpected common bond among many 80s and 90s country songs. Who knew? But regarding keys, it may be useful to point out how natural of a key E is for blues. I mean, not only does it put a male voice typically in a nice range, but the open strings on guitar and standard tuning really lend themselves naturally to E blues. And many of you will know this, but the open strings on a standard six-string guitar are E, A, D, G, B, and E again. So that's one note short of everything you need for a traditional blues scale in E. That would be E, G, A, A sharp, B, D, and E again. It's only missing the little chromatic passing tone, the A sharp. That's not a coincidence. The main lick that comes up in intros and turnarounds, which we talked about earlier in Third Rock in the Sun, is a good example. That's G-E, 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 G-E. And it sounds like it's played on the low E string on the lead guitar, which again, I think is a Fender Telecaster. So I don't have a Telecaster, but let me try playing that lick on my acoustic guitar. Haven't tried this before on Nashville Anthems. Not sure how well I'll be able to pick up the sound with this mic, but let's give it a shot. So the E's in that lick are played on the open E string, the low E string. And the G's are fretted on the third fret of that same string. The E's even, since they always fall quickly after the G's, don't even have to be picked. They just sound when you unfret the G, because the string is already vibrating, just turns into a vibrating open string. So the guitar just kind of naturally plays that lick. You don't have to do any weird fingering or anything. It's very natural. Don't miss, too, how E-bluesy that is. Those Gs are out of key in E major, which is the key the song is in. 
They are, in fact, the minor thirds of E of an E chord, the bluest of blue notes. On the subject of Third Rock of the Sun's nice use of E blues, I also want to point out my absolute favorite thing in this song, and that's the slide acoustic guitar in verse 2. Now, the verses are doubled in this song. I'm counting each half of the doubled verse as one verse, so the part I'm talking about is before the first chorus. It's the part where Diffie sings, Sister tells her boyfriend, be back in a while, right there. Listen closely to that, and it's buried in the mix, sadly, but so somebody whips out an acoustic guitar there and plays it with a slide, similar to the slide electric guitar a bit later, and it plays this killer lick, which I won't be able to do justice to on piano, and I can't play it on acoustic, but it's something like this. Sister tells her boyfriend, be back in a while. Boyfriend wants a beer, the store is just a mile. It's G. E, D, E. G, E, D, E. Super syncopated, super blue, lots of attitude, very unusual and very cool. And it keeps playing that same lick even as the chords change around it. That's another blues thing we talked about, by the way, in the Crazy Over You episode. If you missed that one, go back and give it a listen. Now, the notes in that lick are, of course, super bluesy, because as we mentioned many times at this point, G and D, the minor third and minor seventh of the E chord, respectively, are the blue notes. They're the notes we kept hearing in Crazy Over You. In Rodeo. And they're the notes we keep hearing in Third Rock from the Sun. So in the verses, the attitude is there. The grit is there, especially when paired with Diffie's excellent vocals. And all that, for me, is the best thing the song has going for it. So with that said, let's turn our attention now to some of the less positives. In a podcast dedicating to figuring out why 80s and 90s country music does work, I find myself dissecting a song I argue doesn't exactly work. So why is that? Let's start with the chorus. Musically, unlike the gritty, bluesy verses, the chorus interjects a brighter tone that I just find unwelcome after the verses have established something darker and more mysterious. We've seen before how major thirds can brighten up a song. It's kind of the opposite of what happens with blues, where you'd flirt with a minor key. Major thirds emphasize the opposite. They announce the brighter, happier tone of a major chord and act to lift a song up, especially when they are prominently featured in the higher notes of the vocal melody. And we talked about how exactly that effect was used to great effect from Diamond Rio in the song That's What I Get for Loving You, which in turn harkened back to another of their songs that makes heavy use of this effect They'd be meet in the middle. We also talked about how this was used to maybe unfortunate effect by Clint Black in the song Summer's Coming. And well, I'm sad to say that latter version, I think, is what we have going on in Third Rock from the Sun. When the chorus kicks in, the song shifts to a four chord. That's an A chord in the key of E. Very natural move. And Diffie immediately belts out the major third of the A chord. The note C sharp on the word cause from the line cause and effect which is higher than any note he sings in the verses. Actually, the next word, and, and the first syllable of effect are also C-sharp. So the first three notes of the chorus are all major thirds of the chord the song is on at that point. And the song basically keeps that tone going from there until the last line of the chorus, where 
we welcome the song back to its earthiness as it sings the title and goes back to that gritty darkness that I think suits the song much better. But that emphasis on major is the cause that has the effect of suddenly, unexpectedly, and I think unwelcomely brightening up the song and taking it from the corniness it had been kind of flirting with all the way over the line, such that it stops being cute and starts being kind of silly. On that note, I've been avoiding it up until now, but I think we have to talk about these lyrics. Because I think the song has a relatability problem, which is bound together with a plausibility problem. They're both there, and it's hard to tell which is the cause and which is the effect. But you have a story that, if we want to say it charitably, is at best a tall tale. It keeps escalating in its scope with its believability relying on this idea of a chain of events that faithfully ties all of these happenings together. But it's a chain reaction you don't want to dig too deep into, because the actual connections are questionable, especially the one between the phone call to the sister and the boyfriend's trip to the convenience store. Why exactly did the latter necessarily follow from the former? The lyrics seem very much to be drawing from chaos theory, as described in the movie Jurassic Park, which had come out the previous year. I don't think that timing is a coincidence. But one wonders what Ian Malcolm would have to say if consulted about this little science experiment. But if the cause and effect thread is thin, the story quickly breaks down. And I think that's part of what's going on here. But again, we could excuse all that by just kind of spending a disbelief and saying that Diffie was just telling us a tall tale. But a couple of things. One, with the exception of that line about lines go down, town goes dark, that I highlighted earlier, Diffie's delivery really isn't that of a storyteller in this song. It's almost kind of more didactic, sermonic. He's more holding forth, proclaiming this story rather than kind of intimately telling it to you. And two, there's a relatability problem that flies in the face of what we've noted as a clear common thread in 80s and 90s country music, which, as we've said, tends to provide specific takes on relatable situations, usually strongly grounded in a rural setting. Star Rock from the Sun has the strong rural setting down, and I think it tries to be relatable with each element in this chain as a fairly commonplace thing, at least up until the end of the tale. But it's really the chain reaction itself that doesn't feel grounded in reality, at least to me. I mean, I grew up in a small town, and nothing resembling this tale and this chain reaction ever happened. It just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like this happened in any actual place, just in the songwriters' minds. And that's my beef. Like, small town Saturday night, this ain't, right? And that's why it, for me, ventures too far off the road on its way to knocking down the power lines. Rather than staying small, contained, and grounded, some kind of just, well, goes off the rails. All right, well, finally, on the subject of what maybe doesn't work in Third Rock from the Sun, I want to talk about what I would consider to be overdone instrumentation and production. I mentioned that the drums and guitars are way up in the mix, while the piano and pedal steel and that cool acoustic slide guitar are a bit buried. The steel guitars no longer cry and fiddles barely play, but drums and rock and roll guitars are mixed up in your face, Right? I've mentioned that I'm not exactly playing law enforcement for any murders on Music Row in this podcast, but it's hard to deny how spot-on that particular lyric is when it comes to a song like Third Rock from the Sun. Because you could really change the fiddle reference to a piano reference without losing anything in the spirit of that lyric from Murder on Music Row. So that's the vibe that you have going on here, for better or for worse. There's also a crispness to the production in the song that I'm getting out of my league and trying to describe with any real specificity, except that I get that overcompressed vibe that was going to become a big deal at that time. 
And that's part of a general impression I get of the best word I can come up with is industrial. There is a mechanized feel in the way this song comes off. It sounds a million miles from, say, Alan Jackson, which always feels intimate and, if you will, handmade. But to be fair, that's Alan Jackson's shtick. And honestly, you don't even have to go to that extreme to feel what I'm talking about. Contrast it with another song, Indie Blues, Garth Brooks's Rodeo. That was a song that very much had gritty attitude, but with remarkable deftness of touch in the execution that, frankly, I think Third Rock lacks. And see episode two of Nashville Anthems for more on what I'm talking about in Rodeo. But we need to point out the deliberate difference in tone in those two songs before we hang too much on the contrast between them. We've seen before how, as we move later in the 90s, it seems we are more likely to encounter something like irony in a song, and pretty sure we see that here. Remember, as we said in that episode, 1991's Rodeo is a song without a hint of irony, with a straightforward tone that isn't remotely tongue-in-cheek. 1994's Third Rock from the Sun, on the other hand, I argue is a bit tongue-in-cheek, even if I think the song misses the mark by not committing to this tone enough. In other words, by leaving the tone a bit confused by not being consistent in how seriously it does or doesn't take itself. But the song is a bit campy, and I'll admit it's possible to appreciate the production on that level. The problem is that we can't listen to this with 1994 ears anymore, and we instead have to live with the way the production on Third Rock from the Sun found its way into the next millennium in bro country, something we talked about in the How Forever Feels episode. Bro country being an overwrought version of country that, to me, disastrously, leaves the humor and irony of a song like Third Rock from the Sun by the side of the imaginary dirt road it's cruising down. But I digress. Back to Third Rock from the Sun, I'd say it seems like the last domino has fallen. With a whimper. So, let's put Third Rock from the Sun away for now. It's a song that takes the rock and roll attitude, more than the honky-tonk attitude, to the nth degree, keeping it fun, yet maybe sacrificing relatability along the way. So, we'll leave it at that. Let's now check out what song we'll be looking at on the next episode of Nashville Anthems. To that end, I'm going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. The song is Colin Ray, someone we haven't tackled so far, and the song is I Can Still Feel You. I look forward to getting into that one with you in two weeks. In the meantime, especially if you weren't necessarily smelling what I was cooking in this episode, you love Third Rock from the Sun, drop me a line. You can email me at meltonmainerberry at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. Either way, I'll catch up with you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye now. I gotta go. Somebody's calling. <laughs>